hello everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast. I am your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcomes. You can find out more information about us on our website at carsgroup.com. That's K-A-R-S group.com. And on today's episode of Mindset to Mastery, I want to pose a question to you. And the question is, what is your impact? Think about that for a second. What is your impact? And the reason I'm talking about this is because on this podcast and, and on a lot of the, the things that I do when I, when I have speaking engagements and I talk to people and, and I go out and I do trainings and facilitate sessions, we always talk about your outcomes. We always talk about your goals. We always talk about where you want to get to and what you want to achieve. But I want you to go a little bit deeper today and I want you to think about what is your impact? If you want to call it legacy, if you want to call it what you leave behind, whatever you want to call it, but I want to focus on what is your impact? And before I get started, I want to start with a story. So close your eyes and I want you to listen to the sound of my voice and I want you to visualize what I'm about to tell you. It's August 2005 and I'm sitting in a sweltering attic in New Orleans with my feet dangling over the opening between the attic and the hallway below, nervously watching the water steadily rise beneath my feet. Every time a gust of wind rattled the house, I got an unwelcome peek at the lightning and the rain outside as the corner of the roof lifted ever so slightly. As the wind increased, so did the width of the peak outside that I was getting. So in response, my arms automatically reached up and wrapped around a low-hanging beam of wood that connected the attic floor to the roof above. And I'm sitting there and I'm pulling down with all the might of my 125-pound frame. And in my mind, I wanted to keep it, the roof, and me from blowing away. As I'm holding it down, all the while I'm staring at this one corner of the roof that keeps lifting and saying just one word over and over and over again, like some sort of mantra, hold. 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 Throughout what seemed like an endless night, the screams of my neighbors being awakened suddenly by the feel of water rushing into their beds can be heard all around me. The people on either side of me, the, the veteran on disability who was just starting to make progress with his PTSD on the new meds that he was getting, the couple on the other side who weren't officially married, but for all intents and purposes, they acted like they were just without the license and the rings, I could hear their screams mixing with those of the other people who were trying desperately not to drown in their own beds. At some point throughout all of this, it got eerily quiet. That's when the eye of the storm passed over. And then on the other side came the sounds of screaming and praying and torrential rain and wind and always, always more wind. As Hurricane Katrina barreled through New Orleans, 
she not only uprooted trees and toppled buildings, she changed the fabric of a community. The people who called the city home would forever be changed. And so would I. The next morning after the storm had passed, after realizing that I'd survived and I'd managed not to get blown away, I turned my attention to trying to figure out how to get out of here. How was I going to get out of the attic? There was too much water beneath me and I was not about to suffocate inside the sweltering attic. So I found a hammer and I spent what seemed like hours chipping and chiseling away, trying to break through and reach the outside. And as I'm chipping away on the outside, as I'm trying to, to figure out how to get out of here, one thing kept coming to my mind. What if this is it? What kind of impact have I made? And I'm, I'm, I'm chipping away and I'm hammering at the, the layers of pressed particle board and plywood and aluminum sheeting just to try to create an opening big enough for me to try to squeeze through, you know, cutting a deep gash in my arm, which I still have the scar to this day, as I wiggled out. And I get onto the, the, what was a, an addition of the house, and I thought, I'm crawling to safety? Because as I look around, I was taken completely by surprise at the sight around me. There was devastation everywhere. There was water, there was destruction. Cars were upside down or leaning against houses. Power lines were down, in some cases underwater. Trees were broken and strewn around. Everywhere I looked, there was destruction and devastation. And I said, is this the end? Then as I stood there and I'm looking around and I see people one by one, gradually crawling out of houses and churches and buildings. And some are calling, you know, yelling across the streets to other houses to check on the status of their neighbors and to see if they can locate family members and people that they know. Other people are just stunned and in shock and they're standing there looking around them as if trying to wrap their minds around what had happened. And the sky above us was filled with helicopters. You know, some were news crews filming us and the destruction and others were Coast Guard and National Guard rescue copters trying to position themselves to pick up people who, now that they realized they'd survived the storm, were desperate to be lifted out of, the, out of the flood that remained and wanted to be pulled to safety. Over the next two and a half days waiting to be rescued, I stayed between the attic and the roof depending on how hot it was. Sometimes the heat was so unbearable in the attic that I went outside to the roof. But then I was disgusted by the sight of all the news helicopters that flew low to get better camera angles for their stories, but never tried to pluck any of us out of the carnage. No matter how much we waved, shouted, or reached our hands up, looking like small children begging to be picked up. And I kept asking myself, is this all there is? And what kind of impact have I made? On the second night, there was this huge commotion outside. And it seemed like there were a thousand helicopters going by. And, and there were all of these different, you know, noises. And, and, and I, I can't, we couldn't figure out what it was because it was so dark. But the next morning, we got up 
and there was silence. Nobody was around. There were no more helicopters in the sky. It was like I was just left behind. And I asked myself, what impact have I made? So on the morning of the third day, I emerged from the attic and I saw nobody. Everybody was gone. And apparently all that noise and commotion that I heard the night before was a massive rescue mission, um, you know, hence the noise. But because my house was in an area surrounded by down power lines, the airboats couldn't get through to come and come close enough for rescuers to reach me. So I sat there realizing that there's a possibility that nobody is coming to get me. That I have been left behind. I have no more food. I have no more water. It is, I swear, close to 100 degrees. And what am I going to do? But what impact have I made? What have I done up until this point? And as luck or fortune or or you know, providence or whatever you want to call it would have it, there was a man from the neighborhood who had a fishing boat that had washed up alongside of his house, who decided that he was going to go house by house seeking out survivors. Because since the night before, all of these rescue helicopters had picked up people and taken them over to the school so that they could be staged for pickup, he wanted to make sure that there was nobody that was left behind. So he did something on his own. He climbed in the boat and he rowed from house to house, seeking who was still trapped, finding people who had not been airlifted over to the school, finding people who were holding on to their last hope. And he picked me up. And he took me the two and a half blocks away to the school. And when I arrived, there were about nine, ten other people there. There were three kids and, and several adults. There were uh, there was an elderly couple. One, uh, the gentleman had an, was an amputee. Um, There's another older woman, the grandmother, who had her grandson with her, who was in his twenties and six over six feet tall, but had the mental capacity of a four-year-old. There were all these people of different ages and, 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 and backgrounds. And as we stood there looking at each other and trying to say, okay, what are we going to do now? You know, someone said, the rescuers are coming back. They said that they needed to um, suspend operations for the night. They're coming back to pick us up. So we'll be, we'll be leaving in no time. So we had some hope and we settled in to wait. But then... As the minutes ticked by and they turned into hours and the hours kept creeping by and we noticed it was getting dark and there was no sign of anybody, no one. And so as the night turned into the next morning and we still didn't see anybody, no helicopters, no rescue boats, nothing. And then we had a decision to make because we had to come to the realization that maybe nobody was coming to get us. So once again, I had this question in my head, what if this is it? 
and what impact have I made? So I decided that I was going to talk to some of the men and the women about dividing up jobs among the group so we could all chip in, help to make the situation a bit more bearable. We had to move on from only looking out for our, from our own best interests and what was in it for me and, and how I was going to survive to start thinking about how we could get a eke out some type of survival by working together and pooling our resources. So everybody had a job, everybody had a role. I took care of the kids and, and, and we made candles and we made signs that we hung outside the school you know, windows you know, in hopes that somebody would come and find us. They would be able to know that we were there. You know, I also, we also took care of the elderly couple and the amputee and the, and the diabetic grandmother and, and, her, and her grandson. And everybody was busy and, and the men would go out and they would forage for food and see what it is that they could find. And we spent another three and a half days in the school waiting. And finally, on the, the, you know, after three and a half days, there was a rescue boat that was going by to get, you know, to bring supplies to another um, location that they had found. And we flagged them down. They radioed our position in. And there was a National Guard helicopter that, you know, came in and, and he dropped rations because we were running out of food and water. And they did an assessment and they said, well, come and we'll pick you up tomorrow at 0600. Well, you know, we didn't have a watch. We didn't have a clock. We didn't have electricity. So we all waited up all night. And they showed up the next night, the next morning, and they started, you know, lowering the basket and having us climb in. And we were lifted up one by one into the helicopter. And I went in the first group with the um, elderly couple and the grandmother because they were uh, diabetic and in need of medical attention. And when I, I got into the basket and I was being lifted up and I looked around, it was the first time that I was able to see a far-reaching view of the city. And it was the first time I was able to really see the devastation and how much everything was underwater and how places that I knew were gone. And as I got lifted in and I, I was pulled into the helicopter and the co-pilot and the helicopter kept looking back at us and, and he kept smiling and he had this huge grin on his face and I couldn't understand why in the world is he grinning? And he looked at me and he said, can I take your picture? Now, it's been almost seven days. I'm dirty, I'm smelly, I'm hairy. Only thing I have is the, is, is the, the clothes on my back. I don't look picture worthy. And I'm trying to figure out why is this guy wanting to take a picture? And he looks at me and he says, you guys are the first people we found alive. And I thought again, what impact have I made? And so they took us to the airport. We were loaded onto a plane. Um, we ended up in Georgia and um, at a 4-H camp uh, that the University of Georgia had designated um, for 
you know, as they call it, the refugees. And when we arrived, I made a phone call to my mom to tell her I was alive and that I was okay. And then I had a difficult decision to make because once again, I had to choose between doing what was best for me or solely in my best interest or doing what would help others and make an impact. And because the elderly couple and you know the amputee and, and the grandmother with the mentally disabled um, grandson, because they didn't have anybody. They didn't know where their kids were. They didn't know where their families were. They didn't, they didn't have anybody. I made a difficult decision and I told my mom that I was not coming home to her. I was staying behind to help the people who needed me. And so as I started working towards getting, you know, resources and doing research and, and finding, you know, um, you know, helping them navigate through the system to get, re to get you know, um, money and, and to find their IDs and, and apply for benefits and all of this, I had more and more people who kept asking me, can you do this for me? And so it, it, I started looking out for other people who kept coming to me and saying, can you do this for me? And, and as this started to snowball, I realized that there was a difference between the powers that be who thought this is what we should do and what they need and the voices of the people who had just gone through this horrific experience who needed to speak up and say, no, this is what we want. This is what's best for us. So I, along with a, a small group of others, became the voice of the people who had gone through this tragedy. I became a spokesperson. I met with leaders um, with the Red Cross and with the local um, nonprofits and with the foundation and, and all of that. And I talked to them about how we needed to do things differently so that we would be able to serve the people who needed it in the best way. Why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this because when it comes to employee resource groups, when it comes to you as a business owner, when it comes to you within your company, your organization, typically groups that we form are formed because they're want, we want to look out for ourselves. We want to establish our resources and our support and collaborative networking and, and professional development and ways of looking out for us, what's in it for us. And in the case specifically of employee resource groups, they've traditionally been thought of as segmented, you know, smaller groups within a company or an organization that's just there for the employees. They're not there for the company. They're not there for the group as a whole. They're there for the individual people and what they want. But just as I had a decision to make during that summer of 2005 of whether to just take what I needed and leave or stay and use my voice to make things better for others, you and employee resource groups and, and, and organizations and companies, you have a right, you have a duty, you have an obligation and an opportunity to move beyond 
what's in it for me to how can I make an impact. That one decision that I made to stay and make a wider impact has shaped my path over the past 14 years. I've used what I've learned from my Katrina experience to inform my work on leading from within, um, with organizations, with businesses, with communities to assist them, you know, by facilitating outcomes. You know, I do strategic consulting, talent development, applied learning. But throughout all of this, I went from a Katrina refugee, quote unquote, who was simply trying to help others to organizing and running a transition program for 80 families who'd just been displaced, helping them get back on their feet, helping them find jobs, helping them to reunite them with their families, helping them to create a life that was in some ways better than the one that they lost in New Orleans. To then becoming the interim executive director of the private foundation that had raised over $300,000 for Katrina relief efforts, and from there expanding my work to assisting organizations and companies to best maximize their greatest resource, their people, as they create opportunities for success. I made a decision that the impact that I was going to make was not going to solely stop at me. I made a decision that the impact that I was going to make was going to be felt in the people that I touched and the ripple effect of other people being in position to help other people as a result of the actions that I took. I made a decision that the tragedy that had befallen me was not going to be something that defined me in a negative way. I made a decision that my impact was going to move beyond me. I don't have children. There's no legacy that I'm going to leave behind by having someone who looks like me and talks like me and has my nose and my mannerisms and and who people can look at and say, oh, that's yours and they look just like you. I can't live vicariously through the lives of my children because I don't have any. Not physically natural children that I've birthed. But what I do have, I do have people that I have helped. I do have businesses that I have helped grow. I do have organizations that I have assisted in being successful and therefore being able to employ more people and to make a greater impact in the services that they provide to their clients. I have made an impact in the lives of women that have gone through my released and ready retreats. I have made an impact in the lives of individual people that have gone through my entrepreneurship training or my beast mode bootcamp training. I have made an impact in the lives of people that I have touched by telling my story and my experience and showing them that they don't need to be a victim of their circumstances. They can instead be a creator of their success. The impact that I have made has gone beyond me because I realized that as I was sitting in this attic and I was watching the the corner of the roof lift up every time a gust of wind blew over and shook the house, I realized that as I sat there trying to hold down the rafters of the roof so that I wouldn't be blown away, I realized in that moment that the impact that I had made up until that point in my life was not enough. 
I realized that because of the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I was given and I was blessed with, that there was more that I was supposed to do. I realized that I have a responsibility. I have an obligation. I have to be accountable to all that I have been given and all that I am by making an impact. Now, I'm not saying that your impact has to be, you know, world changing. It's not that you're going to be, you know, Gandhi or Mother Teresa. Your impact can be as small as the people in your circle. Your impact can be as small as the one person that you, you buy a meal for. Your impact can be as broad as the people in your department. It can be the people in your city. It can be the people in your state. Or it can be the people in your household. Your impact can be felt on strangers. Your impact can be felt on your friends. Your impact can be felt on your colleagues. But your impact must be felt. So what is your impact? How are you leaving your mark? How are people going to know that you have been here? Because everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants to feel as if there is some reason for them being here. But you have to make a decision about what that is. You have to determine what impact am I going to make? What impact am I going to make on my community? What impact am I going to make professionally? What impact am I going to make personally? What impact am I going to make on myself? What impact are you going to make? What ripple effect are you going to start by touching one person, teaching one person, uplifting one person? And then you never know what that one person that you've touched and you've impacted and you've motivated and you've inspired and you've lifted up. You don't know what type of impact that other person is going to make. I never felt that I had enough to say. I never felt that what I was going to say was important enough to warrant having a podcast. I never felt that what I had to say and what I had to teach and, and the experiences I had to share, I never felt that they warranted being on a stage. But when I attended this conference and I shared my story, not all of it, just bits of it, but I shared my story and I shared my experience and I shared my perspective and I shared my insights and I shared my lessons learned. I had people who came up to me for the next couple of days of the conference and said, your story has moved me. Your story has made me think. Your story has made me ponder what type of impact I wanna make. Your story has moved me. Your story has made an impact on me. Now, this whole process is a work in progress. Have, do I feel like I've made the, all of the impact that I wanna make? No. Do I feel like this is the end all and be all? No. I have no idea where all of this is going, but I do recognize that if I want to make an impact, if I want to direct and control and, and be open to all of the potential and the, and the possibilities I have to be willing 
to put myself out there, to tell my story, to stand up proudly, and to make an impact. This has been Keisha Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcome. You can listen in to episodes of this podcast by visiting our website at carsgroup.com. That's K-A-R-S group.com. You can find out information about our upcoming launch of our CARS Academy, which is our online training and professional, personal professional development institute. You can find out information about our services, and you can find out how to contact us so that we can assist you in achieving your outcomes and creating your success and on making an impact on the people and the organizations and the community around you. Until next time, make it a great one.